0: Welcome to my podcast, Tea with Twiggy. In each episode, I speak with a good friend of mine or someone that I find fascinating, all whilst enjoying a good cup of tea. I always enjoy these chats and have no idea where the conversation is going to go. And I hope you'll enjoy them too. I'm very excited this week because my guest is the most amazing historian. He's made programs like The Story of China, And the story of England, which I'm sure a lot of you have seen on TV. He's got so many amazing stories. I can't wait to hear them. Oh, Michael, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I'm very excited.
1: Total pleasure.
0: Good. So now, first things first, most importantly, have you got your cup of tea?
1: Oh, I've got a very nice cup of tea, as my mother would say. What Um, have you got? It's just organic builder's tea. I'm slightly um, fascistic about tea, I'm afraid to say, that travelling all over the world in these films, you can often be very disappointed by tea. (laughs) And. And actually it started many many years ago. Rebecca and I when we first got together we used to go to, to Greece and you can only get I shouldn't mention it should I but Lipton's yellow label tea bags oh, and they just don't do it. So we started this they custom of awful. taking uh, tea bags with us. And I do it all the time now, wherever I go. And I was actually doing a film in China recently. You know, of all the places, you know, all the tea in China. And I was on a, and I was on a boat. I was on a ferry for twenty-four hours. And although they served food, they didn't serve tea. And they gave That's they, hysterical. they served even... hot water. But of course, I had my trusty supply of, well, all right, Twinings organic so breakfast tea, and. Um, uh, and actually, I brought it out in the tea room in the morning on the boat, and the Chinese people on the next table were also using it. They thought it was quite good. And I actually, just to show you, your your listeners can't see this, but um, this oh, that's is cool. oh, this that's teapot. So
0: pretty. Um,
1: you'll never believe this, but years ago, I did a series following the route of Alexander the Great from. Greece through Iran and Central Asia and I Afghanistan. <laughs> and there in the bazaar, in Kabul in Afghanistan, <laughs> in the middle of the first war with the Taliban, and in the evening you could hear the gunfire on the outskirts of Kabul. Oh my god. There in the bazaar were these beautiful old teapots <gasps> that were made, believe it or not, in the the imperial Russian china factory in saint petersburg before russia fell you know in other words in the first world war period why they were there in the bazaar in Kabul, i don't know but i bought two one for my mother-in-law and one for us and we've still got it's so
0: pretty nobody can see it but it's is it painted flowers, or do you, they yeah, must be painted yeah, on? Yeah, um, it's a beautiful, well, I have, lovely old Well, with stencils.
1: Shape? A beautiful pink flowers and tendrils. Of, is. um I mean, there was a much bigger one which I was very covetous of, but we were actually <laughs> trekking on foot over the Hindu Kush, and I thought a very large teapot might watch, get in the watch way. Watch me,
0: teapot. <laughs> 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 That's hysterical. <laughs> in india you'd have got great tea that's where it Oh, comes in india from. you get
1: great tea yeah, yeah yeah actually i mean of course in china, china the tea in china is absolutely wonderful and the, and it's magical because you go to these places a little roadside place with somebody who's just got a little wooden kind of platform and a fire burning and 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 bags full of what look like Kind of bits of throw out from gardening, you know, old seed pods and things like this. And you kind of point at something and they boil the water up and they pour these seed pods in and then it sort of bubbles like a kind of, you know, strange, strange scene out of a movie, you know, like kind well, of magic. Strange brew. And then you taste it and the taste gradually changes as the infusion goes in. So, mm. um, yeah, I oh know tea is a great thing. India, but- of course, is great because they serve well you know indian tea and it's usually ready mixed and and sometimes i remember one night with rebecca we were in some godforsaken place in the middle of rajasthan and and the we we've went down to reception, but there was just a boy sleeping on a sofa and there was no possibility of them making us tea. So we thought we've got to do something. So we walked out into the, into the road and it was, it was dark and, and, and a bit of traffic. And we asked, where could we find a tea? And we were directed down to the bus stand. And we said, we want some tea. And he got, he said, well, I'll give, give you tea here. He said, but um, we said, uh, no, we want to take it back to our rooms. So the guy made the tea. And then he got a—can you believe this—a polythene bag, and he poured the tea into the polythene bag, knotted it up, It's like carrying a balloon full of tea. We walked like all the way do. back. We
0: got, do you remember when they used to put goldfish in a plastic yes, yes, bag exactly like that.
1: <laughs> So we walked back and 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 had it in our room. So as you can see, we are tenacious and sometimes even ingenious. Tea seekers.
0: Well, I'm I'm very honoured for you to take tea with me. I'm sorry it's virtual, but at the moment um, we have no choice, do we? We have no choice. How how has this um, lockdown and or two lockdowns we've been through now? How Because you're the great traveller of the world. I mean, has it really affected you this year? How have you coped, you and Rebecca? Because you and Rebecca are your partners, I know. And just for the audience. And you work together, don't you, on all your documentaries?
1: We do. Which um, is lovely. Uh, I remember my some of my friends, especially my, one of my oldest friends, saying, I could never work with my partner. It would completely... Uh, you know destroy everything, but Rebecca and i 've worked together for a very long time, and it, it sort of seems to work you know although actually it certainly does um just before the lockdown started i 'd gone to china actually you know only oh, had
0: you uh, uh, well early in 2020? in the
1: autumn in the autumn uh, of last year you know just uh, this time last year, a bit earlier, so it was just as the before the the outbreak was about to start, and i'd had to go on my own because becky 's father was ill, so she stayed with him and um um, and, I, and I shot it on my own so that's the last big trip that I've done but during the lockdown we've been really lucky the, the greatest piece of luck is that we've got a garden yeah. and we've, we've it's got a, a little beautiful
0: ve- garden I've we've seen your garden A little vegetable
1: patch you know where, so we planted lots of vegetables we've done a lot of gardening so that has been really creative fun thing to do And we feel slightly at a loose end now because everything's so kind of wet and grey. But I've kept on doing things, writing things. And I've actually, you will laugh at this, um, many, many years ago, 35 years ago, I used to be in a a band in Manchester. Did Um, you? uh, Just a bunch of friends and we used to play in really nefarious dives in Manchester you know the Lamplight Club in Chalton which was later kind of burned down by its owner to collect the insurance (laughs) terrifying place we had a residency at the Lamplight Club and things anyway we, we got together for a reunion about, you know, somebody's 60th birthday a few few years ago. But then in the middle of the lock, uh, I think just before the lockdown, one of the band phoned me up and said he was playing with a trio in Manchester and the harmonica player had dropped out. Did I fancy coming and doing it? And I hadn't done anything for years. But I said, yeah, you know, so <laughs> I got the train up to Manchester. We did one rehearsal and we did the gig and things sort of slightly spooled on from that and we did a couple more gigs and recruited one or two more members and during lockdown, we have been using these wonderful gizmos uh, where you record your track and you send it and somebody else adds to it or send their tracks and we're we've actually mixed a few tracks during, during oh you should- re-
0: you should release it
1: so I mean really good it's really <laughs> good fun what
0: kind of music
1: well we are i i i don't need to tell your listeners given my age <laughs> and kind of background um I mean we love the music of our of our youth, you know of we course. love the yeah. late sixties music and uh, you know, obviously blues, and jazz. So it's and kind
0: of bluesy jazz.
1: Yes, that sort of stuff. Pat, the harmonica player, is like uh, one of, you know the, the best harmonica player in the Manchester area. He used to play in this wonderful R and B band who had a horn section called, called Yes Sir. So uh, he's he's he loves that sort of stuff. Although he's a very ingenious and brilliant producer of his own music. Um, so we're uh, and Dave actually played in the the guitarist played in the school band that became Genesis.
0: Listen, you might be discovered as the new boy band, for <laughs> <laughs> <The> two thousand and twenty-one.
1: <laughs> well, actually, actually, it, I can tell you a story about that. That <laughs> all those years ago, we once decided. Um, and the band in Manchester, was one of them was a professor of psychology. You know, one was an architect, one was a photography gallery person. You know, I was doing TV. So we were all kind of middle class, got kind of a bunch of people, you know. But we decided we were going to take a, um, a week off and we were going to do a tour of Devon because a, a friend ran a quite a reputable blues and club in, in Plymouth. So we booked five or six dates and we went down in a converted ambulance and, <laughs> and toured Devon, can you believe it? And on the Saturday night, this is my mortal moment in the in my history of rock music, was we did a really great gig in somewhere like Barnstable or Coombe Martin and at the end of the gig, somebody came over to me and said, here, aren't you that bloke who does their mystery films on television? <laughs> and I kind of beamed proudly and he said... Don't give up your day job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's brilliant. Why a converted ambulance? Because you had to get all the kit in. Had
1: to, yeah, we had to get all the kit in. And uh, uh, <laughs> we had a very brilliant. eccentric keyboard player who, for some reason, you know, strange vehicles used to pass through his hands and he thought this was suitable. <laughs> The original plan was that we'd all brought sleeping bags and we were going to sleep in the ambulance. But after oh one God. night of that, we, we, we went to B&B's.
0: <laughs> went to the nicest hotel in town. <laughs> no, that, that, that wouldn't suit me. I've done, I've done a few concerts and things over the years, but I'd, um, I like to stay in. When I, it's funny, when I interviewed for my podcast, she did the first one, Joanna Lumley you know, who does travel stuff as well. And I said to her, oh, do you get to stay in really lovely hotels? <laughs> you know, because Joanna, do you know, she's so gorgeous. And she said, oh, no, darling. She said, sometimes I have to go and pee in a field. <laughs> <It's> so funny. <laughs> I thought, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like. So I bet you've stayed in some unlikely weird places. I mean, on your travels, it must... Have you had any really, really scary experiences well
1: i mean i'm not i wouldn't characterize myself as being a particularly brave person but i'm curious twigs and that Mm -hmm. leads you into all sorts of situations (laughs) where and i have been yeah there is a moment in the the alexander the great film where we're walking over the mountains north of Kabul, and you actually hear a gunshot (gasps) and then you hear and i'm out on i'd gone walking away while the camera was taking some General shots, and you can actually hear the director, Davy Wallace, going, "Mike, come back! Oh my it's God. dangerous!" You know. So, yeah, a few moments like that. I think years ago, I did a, the Great River Journeys series that won the Baftas, and I did the Congo in that. And there were there were a couple of occasions there when we were held up at gunpoint, and one oh of them, the the um, we we'd moored by night. In an upper stretch of the Congo River, and we were actually attacked in the night with armed paramilitaries or something like that, jumping onto the boat. And it was quite scary for a moment, you know
0: and you couldn 't kind of say i'm from the BBC
1: yeah, yeah, no, and i was the main I was the main French speaker actually, and I, I was trying to calm them down, and the, the weird thing about it, of course, was it was kind of pitch dark and and we were sleeping under mosquito nets and i was stark naked and i stood up and there were these in the, in the darkness there were people were jabbing me with a gun and it all sounded a bit hysterical you know and i was saying you know calm down citizens they used to call them in those days citoyens you know and they they arrested our captain and uh, and the next day uh, i had to go up we were giving a lift to a young african woman who was going up to a mission station and uh, she came up with me and we had to go to some you know hastily assembled courtroom where the captain was our captain was being accused of smuggling you know and it, was, it wasn 't you know they 'd seen all our camera gear in the hold of oh, the little yeah. boat and yeah. and um and so it was one of those extraordinary days where but it was a moment where I thought the BBC does not know where we are to within about four hundred miles <gasps> so, um, but i 'm a great believer in if you're traveling, you should always be jolly. You should always enjoy being with the people that you're with. Uh, there are the odd moments, but a touch wood over all these years, never really had a, a big problem, you know, and, uh, and obviously well, that- I've never stood in the middle of Aleppo in a war zone with bombs no. falling. There's nothing you can no. do about it then. But in, in the kind of travel that we do, you um, go with your best foot forward, and enjoy, enjoy it.
0: Lots, lots of creepy crawlies, though, and snakes and things like that.
1: Well, you have to kind of live with that, I'm afraid. That, that is what happens. <laughs> That's
0: what I couldn't cope with, yeah. you see.
1: I mean, I, took, I had one of those moments where we'd been doing a series of films in South America following the journeys of the Spanish conquests, you know, against the Incas yeah. and the Aztecs. I know. And I, it was so fabulous, and I... I loved Peru in particular so much that when we got back, and you can, you're gradually getting a picture now. I'm sure that Rebecca, my my partner, is very long-suffering, <laughs> <And> <laughs> not least having to organise my, you know, the films that we make, but and, and, and cope with it when we get lost or do stupid oh, things. Gosh. But um, and I said to her, "We've got to take the kids to Peru. We've got to go." You know, and she looked at me <laughs> kind of quizzically, as if. Are you sure? You know. and, um, and the kids at that point were about kind of 14 and 12 or something like that. And I knew this Mancunian who ran a pub in Cuzco. This sounds like the beginning of a joke, doesn't it? But, but Barry, Barry is a Mancunian Man United fan who's an ornithologist who married a Peruvian woman and runs the Cross Keys in Cuzco. So, so I phoned him up and I said, Barry, Rebecca and I are going to come back to Cuzco and um, uh, we're going to bring the kids. And we want to do two really, we'd love to spend some time in Qutqa. We want to take them on horses over the Andes camping out. And then we want to go down into the rainforests of the Amazon. We want to stay with the, you know, in these camps that Barry was involved in, where the money goes to the indigenous peoples, you know. And he said, when do you want to do it? And I said, whenever. And he said, you realize it's the end of the rainy season and it might just be a little, it could be a little bit difficult. you know." And uh, so I know oh, we'll be fine, you know. So off we went. And uh, my long-suffering family experienced an incredible trip. Actually, it was an amazing trip, but of course, it was the end of the rainy season. So we 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 had a four or five day horse trek over the Andes in freezing temperatures, up to about sixteen thousand feet. Wet mm. inside the tents every night. You know, it was kind of on one level, you'd probably say it was miserable, but um, <laughs> on another level,
0: <laughs> when our, you look back, our daughter, our, our
1: younger daughter. Our elder daughter, sorry, recently said, you know, is now 30. She said, I sometimes look back on that. She said, it was the first time in my life when I was never able to stamp my feet and say, Daddy, I'm not, no, I'm not doing it. You know, we had to do it. There was no choice but to go on. You know.
0: Now, is it true I read in – I was just reading a few things about you that you got lost in the lost city of the Incas? Is that true? (laughs) It
1: is. It's true. It's true. That's so
0: brilliant.
1: This is a really great um, uh, story of the Spanish conquest, you know, and they conquered the Mm -hmm. Inca Empire in Peru and it was all, you know, rooms full of gold and executing the kind of Inca kings. And the the last of the Incas fled into the deep jungles to this – Uh, City in the jungles over the Andes that was whose site was only rediscovered um, You know 30 or 40 years ago and the only way you can get to it is you drive to a road head a days drive out of Cuzco and then you walk for four days with your gear (gasps) and uh, Over over high mountains and then down through the cloud forests, you know And Rebecca of course we're sitting in the production meeting in London and Rebecca says, you know, are you sure? We we really need to do this for this film I mean, it's going to take days just to get the one sequence. And there's me going, same as Alexander the Great over Afghanistan in a war, you know, oh, no, it'll be great, Rebecca, it'll be really great. <laughs> so we did it. And and we got horse handlers and we trekked for four days carrying the gear and the tracks God. were just terrible. Camping and those out.
0: cameras are heavy, aren't Camp, they?
1: Yeah, well, we put those on pack animals. Oh, okay, okay. So you're yeah, okay. you, know, so you, you you're doing that. And every time, every night, the the Peruvian leader of the horse handlers, who was a great character, <clears throat> Don Juvenal, he would say to us, we're lagging behind. If only you wouldn't stop to do filming, we'd get there on time. <laughs> Don <laughs> Juvenal, that's the point. So we finally got to the lost city of the Incas and Rebecca decided that she'd lash out money on a helicopter that would come and get us out because otherwise we're not only taking four or five days to get there, but you've got to get out. Yeah. So we did the filming. And they gave we gave them the coordinates for the for the the open patch in the forest where a helicopter could land. And the first day the helicopter was supposed to come, there was cloud cover, and we heard the helicopter go over, circle, "We thought, it's here," and we got all the bags ready, and then it vanished. And of course, there were no mobile phones in those days, so we'd got no. a heavy wooden box with a satellite phone in, which only had like two hours of <clears throat> juice in it. So David phones Rebecca from the clearing and and and, uh, and and she talks to the people in Cusco, and they say well well we went there and you weren't there so we said no so 3 days this happened it was only the 3rd day that they oh they got God. they got us some landed and took us out of the lost city of the incas so it became a kind of legend really among our tv friends that um, we'd gone to the lost city of the incas and, and we lost. were the only ones who knew where we were and the people in Cuzco were going they've been there <laughs> they're not That's there so we had hysterical. we spent our time Kind of fun in the. It was fun in the interim, though. We organised a football match between the Brits and the and the horse handlers. So we had great Peru <laughs> against England football in the clearing. You know, and, uh, who uh, won? Well, we won actually. You know, those oh. days, those were the days when my knees hadn't given out. You know, oh. we, we won, and um, and we carefully eked out our supply of Portuguese awesome. wine. You know, and, uh, oh yeah, and the food.
0: Did you have enough food?
1: Yeah, just about. You know, rice and stuff like that. Great, though. Really great.
0: I bet. Now, am I right in saying that this year you're celebrating 40 years of uh, doing your documentary? I'm afraid
1: so, Twigs. That's amazing. I mean, the TV career is long. How many
0: have you done?
1: Well, the TV TV career is longer than that. I mean, you know, I'd worked in TV for quite a while, but 40 years of documentary making. And it's about 120 I can't quite believe it's that many.
0: That is amazing. Yeah. I've, I've, I don't know whether I've seen them all, but I've seen lots and lots and lots. Because Lee, Lee, you know Lee, my husband. Oh. We're great, great fans, as you know. And they are absolutely... If anyone out there has never seen them, you've got to see them. They are... What's brilliant about you, because there are other people who do them, but yours are so they're so accessible, they're so, they're not intimidating. You know, if people don't know anything about these subjects, it's like, sometimes you tune into things and think, oh God, this is so, there's so much information. But you make it so, you know, interesting. And it's, you can, I can, we can follow it. And we see the most amazing things. So if anyone hasn't seen them or if you have see them again that that's the wonderful things you can watch them over and over again we've watched um, the india the india one and the story of china yeah we've watched them both through twice and then the other one which everyone should see is the story of england
1: oh yeah i
0: wanted to know why did you pick was was kibworth which is explain what it is in case people don't yeah. know yeah
1: do you know this was in this line of business you think about ideas for a long time i know like i had this you know, I wanted to follow the footsteps of Alexander the Great for years, but it was only that little gap in time between the war, Russian War and the Taliban that we, we went, in, we were able to go in in that. And the story of England: the idea was that you take one single place, a village. You know, it can't be a, a town; it's got to be a, a community where most people yep. know each other, and you tell the whole story of that place from the beginning um, through to the present day. And out of that, the story of of the nation emerges, but seen from the perspective yeah. of the ordinary people and you're doing it with the help of the community and the schools and all that and, and and I'd wanted to do it for for years, and I'd thought about different places where you'd do it and and Kibworth is a very kind of ordinary place in many ways, you know it's on the a six it's got chinese and indian takeaways and and, uh, and, <laughs> you, and you know <laughs> it's not particularly that attractive you know but um, a wonderful documentation, and we started off with this idea that we would do with Karenza Lewis, who's a great friend, and you know she did Time Team and all that, and she uh-huh. organised the villagers on day one to do um, a weekend of digging test pits called the big dig (laughs) and we dug about 55 test pits across the village hundreds of people were involved and the kids and all that Um, i
0: bet they loved it, and it it
1: was such incredible fun you know and of course the mind-boggling thing was we didn't have any document for the village before the norman conquest you know 1066 and suddenly you're digging up Uh, Prehistoric stuff, you know, under Mrs. So and so's lawn, there's Roman pottery, there's it was one (laughs) thing after another. I can remember that first day, Sally, who was the producer, saying, do you think anybody'll turn up, first of all, for the for the initiation for the big dig? And I was kind of sweating, I you know, hope so, you know. Because we'd put an advert on Radio <laughs> Leicester, and Radio Leicester there was a kind of choked disbelief when we said we were doing Kibworth. They said, Kibworth. And, and and all those people turned up. And then Sally said, Do you think we'll find anything? And I was sort of loftily saying, Oh, of course we will, you know, and i have no idea what you're gonna find. And And it was such incredible fun. Whenever I get the train up to Leicester or Nottingham and and the train goes past the fields and Kidworth and under the brick bridge and everything, I get a little lump in my throat. So
0: how long did that take? We only did it in a year.
1: The whole thing was done in a year.
0: Was and, it? Um,
1: and wow. it was incredibly influential. I mean, David Oleshoga was just telling me recently that for his, you know, the history of Black Britain, they did this house through time thing that he's been that's doing. He, right. said, oh, he said, oh, the those. big influence was Kidworth because he did all those things in it. You know, you did the house, you yeah, did this. Right. Um, well,
0: you must have influenced all these young, um, you know, travel and his, historical presenters. Well, I think just
1: like I was influenced by... Uh, that older generation, but yeah, the younger generation—you <clears throat> know, Dan Snow and David and Bethany Hughes and everybody have all said uh, it gave
0: them the gave them the bug, of course. Do you have one person, like a teacher or a mentor, who kind of
1: yeah, I had made I think,
0: something um, click inside you that was like, oh my god?
1: Yeah, I think I think when I was at school. Um, we had two teachers of English who were mad about the theatre, and they used to take us everywhere. They brought us down to London to see the original Joan Littlewood production in Stratford East of Oh What a Lovely War. They used to take oh, wow. us to Stratford. They, so that, from somebody coming from an ordinary Mancunian background, you know, Moss Side and and, and 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 so on, I was lucky to go to a, a terrific school. But at that school, those teachers opened our eyes to what an incredible buzz it is to be performing the creative arts. I know you agree, yeah. don't you? you know, yeah, absolutely. It is an unbelievable...
0: Yeah, because it was world, a world I never yeah. knew anything about and never dreamt I would be anything to do with it. And then I would say it was like going into the secret garden. It was like, oh, my yeah. God, this it, is it, 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 it opens
1: it <laughs> like that, doesn't it? And you... You the excitement of being creative, and I think if any if anybody has the chance to be creative, I say to my kids, I don't care if you make money or whatever you do, I want you to be happy first of all. But yeah, of if course. you can be creative, it, it's a it's a wonderful thing. So I think those teachers were the really big influence. When I wrote mm. my biography of Shakespeare some years ago, I, I dedicated the, the the book to those two teachers.
0: It is often a teacher. I think teachers. Well, they're so important in all our lives, yeah. and a good teacher can give you so much, and a, a bad teacher can, you know, or a horrible teacher can you can you know, really do, bring do so down. much damage that's to children. Right. Because children are very special, you know, and they're all very different, and everyone needs different things. So, I think the teaching element—I mean, you go, you go off and talk in school. I do. things, don't you? I bet that's lovely. Yeah, it is.
1: That? It's very, very sweet. Aww. Very, very sweet. I, what I was, kind?
0: Do you do all age groups? Yes, or? I do,
1: actually. I had a, I had a bunch of nine, ten-year-olds. Well, not very young, but I had a bunch of nine, ten-year-olds yeah. in a school in Rochdale not long okay. ago. I've done quite a few in these places around Manchester that have had a tough time, to be honest, yeah. in recent years. Yeah. And they were yeah. doing history projects. And, of course, a lot of the kids were in, from the Indian subcontinent, Pakistan origin. Mm-hmm. They're, they're grandparents, yes. probably, you know. And it was yeah. just brilliant, you know. And I, I was asking them about the projects that they were doing. And, of course, they all talk like this, you know. And, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, from my home, you know, that's my mum tried to bash that out of me. But uh, when I went to university, everybody still said I'd got a, the Manchester accent. And these kids were, you know, oh, I'm doing a project on the railways, coming to Rochdale, or the Industrial Revolution, or the or the, the Rochdale Town Hall. or the kind of And then one little kid of, of, of a... South Asian origin, his family, said to me, sir, he said, have you ever heard of Doomsday Book? and William the Conqueror. I said, yeah. And he said, well, Rochdale's in Doomsday Book. And I wonder what kind of people we would have been then. Would we have been villains or serfs or something? So I'm going to do my project about Doomsday Book. And that kid was my my kind of dream. uh, Brilliant.
0: It's so funny because, you know, Carly, who you you know, my daughter, she's got a a, a, my love of my life, my little granddaughter is five and a half, and they this around bonfire um, bonfire night, they did the story of Guy Fawkes, and Carly said she came home, she she was just she talked about it for a week, she remembered all their names, what had happened, she was just so, and she's only five and a half, but she was like. And I said, "Well, you should steer her in that direction because it's obviously sparked her imagination." Yeah. I mean, they obviously didn't get too heavy with them because they're only five and a half. Yeah. But she just was obsessed with this, and she got on the phone to me and said, "Mimi, I'm." We learnt about this man called Guy Fawkes and the Tower of London, and she knew all the names of the building. I mean, it's amazing, and it's that they're, they're so open at that yeah. tender age, and if you can. Capture their imagination. It's wonderful. Yeah,
1: they all isn't it? they all they always say that when we're young, we're always fascinated by history. And you listen to your grandparents yeah. talking and your parents. That's and right. you know, I'm that generation who's, you know, they all went through the Second World War. And I, you know, people say to me, why did you why do you get interested in history? And you know, my mum used to tell stories of me crouching in a doorway during the nighttime blitz of Manchester because she couldn't get home. My dad was in the naval hospitals working with the 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 wounded on d-day and uh, my uncle bill uh, my mum's brother-in-law he was at dunkirk d-day and the march to berlin and then he went back to manchester and grew dahlias and was an accountant and (laughs) they're completely you know as if it went water off a duck's back you know and my dad's brother was torpedoed in the mediterranean and swam through burning oil and and he went back to become you know a clerk in a button factory and you just think the lives they led so all those sort of things hearing those stories as kids it's kind of there's a sort of magic isn't it and then we grow up and we get other interests perhaps but then when we get kids um then the history comes back doesn't it and you and, and that interest But
0: I also read somewhere that you when you moved um uh, there was a historic building called was it Bag, Bagley, Bagley Hall Bagley, Bagley Hall yeah. it was and you could see it out yeah window or something. Yeah. Did did that kind of yeah. trigger something in you? Yeah,
1: when we moved we moved out of Moss Side, which is inner city Manchester, and we moved to Withenshaw. And Withenshaw is a huge huge council estate on the It's where Marcus Rashford comes from. Oh, okay. Go M twenty three And and um uh, I've talked in schools there too. And and uh, we moved out there. And there was a school playing field behind the house and at one end of the school playing field was this huge old hall that was boarded up it was owned by manchester corporation and it was made it was built in 1330s or 1340s oh, wow.
0: oh, on really a site
1: which had been uh, uh, even in the anglo-saxon period you know even before norman conquest so it's incredible place with this great hall and all that and when i was young there was they applied to demolish it because it it was going to be too much cost to um, uh, you know to restore repair it. it and and there was a petition in Withenshaw and we got 6700 people signed this and then Alf Morris who was our great local mp who was a real campaigner for the disabled he did this wonderful speech in parliament saying you know that to demolish the hall would really you know it was more than local it was national and even had european significance it's such a historic building so and they saved it so it is maintained, but still, they've not been able to raise the funds to really do it up and open it up. So
0: oh, can't the National Trust help?
1: Well, at the moment, fund, funds are difficult. It needs a million just to straighten yeah. it out, and probably more to Ooh. make it open to the public. So it's not
0: open to it's not it's open, not to, the open the to the public. So
1: I think our our feeling is, as a little local group, is that. Um, uh, it would be great to, to turn it into a facility for the people of Withenshaw in some way or for schools or stuff like that. But it's ongoing, it, you know, there's, as you know, there's, the money is short for things like that I at know. the moment.
0: You obviously know, I've mean, I, I visited China once, but we only went to kind of the big cities, we went to Shanghai and um, Beijing. But having been all over China, you know, it's quite timely this year because of what has happened. Yeah. But they seem to be coping with it better than us. Aren't yes. They seem to be have come through yeah. it.
1: I think it's true. I mean, I'm in constant contact with friends in China and, um, uh-huh. um, uh, you know, doing interviews all the time because of films we made and stuff we've been doing. Yeah. I was on the phone to China for an hour just before we came talking to you and they they have coped much better But the Chinese have a very strong solidarity and collective feel. They're a society where, you know, 1.4 billion people, you're never out of contact with people. You've got to learn to rub along with each other. Otherwise, life would be unlivable in in the conditions in which most people live in Chinese cities, you know. So when the Chinese government said to them, "Uh, we need you to do this, and they organized it on a local level. Anybody who needed food supplies brought to them in the blocks of flats or anything, all of it was organized at a local level. And wow. people obeyed the rules. The Chinese are amazed to see demonstrations in Trafalgar Square of people being anti-vax or these these clamp lockdown conditions are wrong. you know. And it's not that the government is so kind of uh, heavy duty that people feel terrified. People... Are, are, it's explained to them and they do it because they know that that's the best thing to do. So they have coped better, actually. Um, and it's a difficult time. You know, as you know, I've just published this big book called The Story of China, oh, no. which I is a, something that I've been working on for years. You know, I've loved Chinese stuff when I was at school. And first, I
0: say your interest you in know, China I goes first way, traveled way, way in China back in to the that
1: early that. 80s. So there's a long... Yeah background to this and we've made a dozen films in china since 2013-14 wow i didn't
0: realize um, that have you seen huge changes there
1: well huge changes from when i first went in the early 80s you know they'd gone through the communist 30 years of communism it's not a communist state now although of course although it's ruled by a communist party it's not a communist economy um it's you know you you go to china today and i remember I hadn't been for a while you know I'd seen it in the eight in the 80s and people were like still traumatized after 30 years of Mao and the cultural revolution and the great famine and everything else and then I'd been a few times but I hadn't been for a while before I went back Rebecca and I went at the end of 2013 and uh, just to have a think and see some fr- old friends who were going to help us in the film and you land in, you know what it's like. You get to Shanghai and you've got a, an hour or two to kill, and you walk across the road into a Starbucks and you have a caramel latte. There's John Coltrane on the kind of speakers, and you you walk outside and there's kind of 10 story high adverts for Christian Dior and the kind of things I know.
0: The- I actually preferred Beijing because we found, because we love all the old stuff yeah. and we, we went. Around to the palace and all those lovely... What are they called? The hutongs, those the little alleyways. Hutong, yeah, yeah, which they're not allowed to destroy within like a mile. No, right, they've the saved palace. them, Is that right? finally. They're the bits yeah. we love. Yeah. And then you come out and it's like New York, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah,
1: old Beijing. I mean, it's...
0: But what we didn't do, which I... Mainly because I get a bit squeamish about going somewhere that's not safe or has creepy crawlies, but we didn't get into countryside and that must be what's amazing right.
1: yeah no it is
0: i'm not very brave it is, there's,
1: <laughs> there's corners of the chinese countryside that are magic and and years ago you know 35 years ago you had to stay in a communist party approved hotel and register and everything was very strictly controlled now you can go and stay in, you know, there's Airbnbs. You can go and stay in little family-run B&Bs in the countryside, with, which are so delightful, and, you know, with a kind of coffee machine and the kind of terrace <laughs> where you can look over there. I mean, it, it's another world now, travelling in China. And these little boutique hotels. Uh, last autumn, when I was making this film about China's greatest poet, which was a journey film, you know, we stayed in these lovely little hotels. It's a total other world. So... It's a difficult time. Can
0: you speak Chinese? No,
1: and beyond, you know, being asked beyond the essential, you know, a cold beer. In (laughs) those
0: places, yeah. Do do the people? Does anyone speak English when you get? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been lucky to mainly travel
1: with people who speak Chinese, but yeah, you can you can always kind of get by, and in the hotels and all that. But um, it is a fascinating country. It's not; they aren't the easiest times. I mean, what's happening? What the Chinese government's doing at the moment in several places? You know, this terrible suppression of the Muslim population of uh, Xinjiang (laughs) in the west. Um, There's there's a lot of, uh, you know, what's happening in Hong Kong. They've got very hard line about things, and and it's. um,
0: And what do you? Only because I'm fascinated. You know, there were these rumors about where the COVID started. Was it? Was it a leak from a, a a laboratory, or was it from an animal? Yeah, it was crossover. It, another... it was
1: crossover from the animal kingdom. Oh,
0: so you don't think it no. was a, no. an expert? Have you heard those rumors? I heard the rumors, you
1: but y- you know, the real experts in epidemiology and who know about all this say there's no doubt it crossed over from, you know.
0: But they've shut that wet market down. They haven't have.
1: They? Yeah. 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 Um, uh, and it's pretty clear it began there, not, maybe not okay. absolutely certain, because you've no idea how long these things are in gestation before they burst out.
0: Because no. you said you were there just before Christmas last year, so it could have been starting in China then, couldn't it? Yeah,
1: early October, yeah, yeah, a year ago. Um, the first cases in Wuhan supposedly were in November that were first noticed, but we didn't but, but nobody thought it was anything serious until the end of December, I think. And then you remember that doctor in in, um, I know. in, in Wuhan started putting it up on his website and then the roof fell in. 1.5 billion hits on his on his um, One... blog, on on the night that he died, isn't that oh amazing? Oh my goodness! People forget the Chinese people have got minds of their own, you know, and they they've got to work within their system. Yeah, they're thinking people who are know know perfectly well what's right and wrong.
0: That's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, please God, I mean, uh, for me, the news this week for the, about the vaccine is just has given us all that well you know, I think most people you talk to, that ray of hope, that it's, yes,
1: um... absolutely. It's very, uh, strange. I keep saying this to Rebecca. I've become really boring in my old age, but I keep saying to <laughs> Rebecca how incredibly privileged I feel. Don't you? I mean, you, you know, how lucky we are in our lives to have, uh, we've paid off the mortgage. We've got a garden. Yeah. And, um, uh, how lucky we are and what privilege it was. We, we always loved the theatre. Mm-hmm. and the bus stop outside here you can go straight down to Waterloo Bridge in the National Theatre and we'd often, at the very last minute, get return tickets for something or go down and and what lives we live in, in London, the idea that you can go to the theatre any day in a number of places and see something wonderful you can go to live music you can go to the cinema and suddenly it's all stopped and I feel um, you realise what privilege it is in the world when so As many Joni people Mitchell said,
0: you don't know what you've got till it's gone
1: absolutely and <laughs> isn't true. she genius great um, alongside geez. with the very greatest music yeah. musicians I mean
0: she's a poet and she's like oh. I think the best yeah. and um, but do you think that through this we will come out and have learnt something about being kinder to people and looking after the planet more and because obviously by not traveling as much and not doing as much. The planets, you know, I've read about things, you probably know much more about this than I do, but I've read about things where certain seas and oceans, the fish are coming back and things are, you know, because there's yeah. not big cruise liners going yeah, in. Yeah. and
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting.
0: We should really all, th- you know, I I wouldn't know how to organize it, but you know it kind of it needs a like a think tank of people saying well, well look we've please god come through this with the vaccine what can we learn and how can we make it better
1: i really agree and i think this decade is going to be so crucial for humanity isn't it oh, absolutely. but it's amazing isn't it about nature coming back we've even noticed that in our garden oh, the, the, the number of birds that, are, yeah. that have come back and we had a little we We did the lockdown very, very faithfully from February, March onwards. And every year we have always gone since before we had kids to a little island in Greece and um, stay with the same family and the same family have come and stayed with us. And when it got to the point in August, when you were allowed to travel, we thought, shall we risk it? And having been so careful on the, the, you know, taking care, social distancing and all that. So we decided we would. And we, this is a, this story is about nature coming back. And we, we got a, a late night flight to Athens, which was virtually empty from an eerily deserted Heathrow. I know, I've heard. And we, so we got into Athens about two in the morning on a pretty much empty flight. And the airport was pretty much empty. The bus was empty down to the port. And we got the ferry to our little island, which, Saw sort a of good few people in because the Greeks were celebrating the big religious festival, and we stayed there for nearly three weeks, and you couldn't believe it—the the animals and the creatures were all coming back. the the tur- the sea turtles were nesting again in three places on the beach. So the lo- they'd laid their eggs on the beach. So the the the, the local authority had had to put a little fences around to protect them, because the, you know they they incubate and then they all come out of their eggs That's and they right. go down into the sea. So the marine Mediterranean marine turtles had done that. The monk seals, the seals which used to live when we first went thirty years ago, more than thirty years ago, used to live at the end of the beach in this kind of rocky like cavern area, and they'd stopped coming. They had come back. Is had, that
0: because too many tourists, you think? Yeah, they yeah and, and too the boats, many people and the boat. And the
1: boats are very disruptive as yeah. well. You have lots of boats. Yeah. And the dolphins, which we used to see when the kids were little in the area between our island and the next island, when you went on the little ferry, you they, you see them jumping. And and literally, I was swimming in the middle of the bay and flying fish leapt out of the water right next to me. So we saw it at the most local level there in the corner of the Mediterranean wow. that the natural world had come back.
0: That is, a, well, that that's the upside of this horrible, yeah. horrible, horrible We've all year. got to learn,
1: haven't we, as I you say. I
0: think so. But what's wonderful, I mean, we, you see the Montelli and, and, and just from, you know, my grandkids at school, they are learning about that, and you know, and the, it's it's the young people's voices, and you know, they you get nine year olds coming out and saying, you know, we've got to plant more trees, and we've got to look after this, and we've got to do that, and you know, they they feel very passionate about it, so they are the new generation, aren't they?
1: We rely on them. They've got to save the planet. Yeah, but we. To be
0: honest. <laughs> we did, <laughs> no, we did no pressure
1: we... then. Mm-hmm.
0: The other thing I read in 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 your um bio that that you at school you did some acting was that ever a kind of thing you wanted to get into
1: No but I loved it and uh, we had a wonderful dramatic society and when I went to university I did quite a few plays and we even formed a, there was a Shakespeare company that was formed to tour the states so I actually um toured the st- uh, the East Coast with um, two Christmas holidays for four weeks each time, playing Shakespeare with a oh, load of wonderful. great people who became, you know, serious. You went, you
0: went to Oxford, correct? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Diana Quick, for example. Oh, yeah, she she's was She played Helena in the in the Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, fabulous! She played Helena in the Midsummer Night's Dream when I played Oberon. So a lot of really really great people. So it was fantastic fun, but I, I it wasn't something I'd ever considered um you, you know d- doing beyond that but i dare say learning lines and performing and, and everything helps you when you're on the screen sometimes you know you kind of telling a good story and all that but there was a strange kind of sequel to that which was the de- the late stephen pimlott who's the great theater and opera director of mm-hmm. course english national opera did, tragically died died young he was at school with me and when i at school i played hamlet he was polonius ah. and and years later the phone rang and it was Stephen saying, I'm doing King Lear down at Chichester with David Warner playing King Lear. And he said, and I know this is crazy because you've just come back from doing The Story of India or something like that, but, and it's right out of the blue, but you don't want to come down to Chichester and play Kent, do you, (laughs) with... With David Warner. And I, just, and I had a my heart was pounding, you know. I can remember I can remember being this kid at school watching David Warner do Hamlet, like yeah. a sixty eight student with his long red scarf, you know, the nihilistic you know, you know. He was our hero, you know. And um but I uh, discretion was the better part of valor in that, in the end. But I always look back on that and think that could have been my serious acting debut Debut.
0: Twits. Absolutely. <laughs> That's hysterical. That's absolutely hysterical. Well, it's been an absolute joy to talk to you. Thank you for coming on with me. And um, hopefully we can actually meet up next year. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't allowed, that be great? If we're allowed to see each other and touch each other and. Um, you know, well, I I really think there is a light at the end of the tunnel with this, the vaccine, don't you? There
1: is. There, there is. is. And and you're so right. I hope we all learn from it, including yeah. those things about kindness.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the most important, isn't it? But people have been... I mean, the acts of kindness you you hear about and read about just in local areas of people helping each other.
1: Yeah. And the incredible generosity of everybody who worked in the health service who put themselves on the line for it as well I, you know um, well
0: they're the real heroes aren't oh, they
1: yeah yeah friend of friend of mine who uh, uh, comes from Sudan her her uh, first cousin was one of the earliest ones to die and uh, you know it, it really hits home doesn't it when it's somebody you know really well
0: oh, let's hope this is the beginning of the end of all that yeah. And that lovely lady, the first person to get the vaccine, I can't remember her name. She was (laughs) 90 years old. She was brilliant. She said, I can do it. Anyone can do it. She was absolutely fantastic. I loved her. Great. Those people are amazing. Anyway, I'm going to love you and leave you to go back to your writing.
1: (laughs) Thanks a lot, Twig. It's been such fun.
0: Okay, bye. Bye. That was fabulous. Gosh, I could have gone on chatting to Michael about all his travels for hours and hours, but um, we don't have that time, I'm afraid. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. If this is your first time listening to Tea with Twiggy, please do remember to tell your friends. You can also subscribe for free on your podcast app and listen to all my previous guests. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy, Or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show. My producer, Kobe Omanaka, And executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye.